yes, things have been tough, but what's come out of that is how we now support each other, I think, more than we've ever done before. Welcome everyone to Skin Connections, the podcast. I am your host, Gay Wardle. In Skin Connection, I interview some of the most amazing thought leaders, influencers and educators in our industry and talk to them about everything skin and science. Today I'm joined by the publisher of Beauty Biz Magazine and owner of Australian Beauty Industry Awards, who also happens to be a motivational speaker, Reiki master, business trainer, firewalker, and dog lover, Linda Woodhead. So instead of skin and science today, I want to sit down with Linda to talk about how she came to launch Mocha and how she balances her life and career. And already I have learnt some things I didn't know about you, Linda, Reiki master. You asked me to send you the bio and I think it's one that I've had for quite a long time. And there's, there is stuff in there that probably people don't know much about me unless they know everything um so yeah from a business perspective it's a bit different to i guess personal but having said that all that adds to um i guess what i do with everything it's it's sort of that subtle underlining thing that i don't talk about too much (laughs) amazing anyway welcome welcome linda (laughs) i'd love to learn a little bit more about that a little bit later so um linda you created a fabulous company called mocha publishing where did Mocker Publishing start and how did you come up with the name Mocker Publishing? Um, the name came about, strangely enough, more so from a graphic point of view. I, when I decided to set the business up, um, I was walking, I think I was at Carindel Shopping Centre in Brisbane and I was walking past a shop that was sort of like a home decor shop, um, quite French, quite Parisian. And um, I saw a sign on the wall, um, and which I've still got in my office. Um, and it was sort of chocolate colours and pink colours and a bit like a sort of Neapolitan <laughs> ice cream, I guess. And, and it had the word mocha in the middle. And I loved the name uh, and I thought it just the colors were really nice in terms of they were beautiful they were pretty but they were also kind of strong together so I thought oh that that'll do it well it wasn't kind of you know it doesn't necessarily mean anything strange or or um you know anything more than that but I just loved the name um I'd, I'd been in publishing for a long time. So I started in the UK um and worked for Reed Publishing which was massive obviously over there um had worked on trade and technical business to business magazines uh, that went to the Middle East and Far East. So I started off in telesales and then I went to, um, so my background was sales. I started classified, then the display advertising, and then um, had an incredible manager, um, had an amazing manager called Paul, who taught me everything when I was very young. I was like in my early 20s. Um, and he was the kind of manager that, you know, when he was doing stuff that even I didn't need to know, he offered to teach me and show me. So, you know, I'd, I'd go to leave like everybody else in a huge big company and he'd say, oh, I'm doing budgets tonight. Do you want to watch? And 
So I was really hungry to learn and, and I wanted to know more than just what I needed to know, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, I've always said to people in any industry I've been in, and I would recommend this to anyone, that if you can learn you know, everything that you can possibly know, irrespective of whether you need to know it right now, it will hold you in good stead for the future. Um, I was always one of those people, and I still am, that if I'm, I think that to manage somebody properly, you need to be able to know what, what they're doing. Um, so I think that, um, it, yeah, it was just um, started out with publishing, I was very young. I travelled a huge amount. Um, I was very lucky that my territory area encompassed southern part of the UK, uh, but also quite a few countries. So Switzerland was one of my countries and Germany and France. So I, you know, at a young, I don't think I really appreciated it, to be honest, until I got older because I was, you know, sent off to all these beautiful places to go and sell advertising. <laughs> and um, my biggest challenge, I think, back then was that I, I started managing a new magazine. We, I dealt with health equipment um, and we launched a thing called Middle East Medical Update, which used to go to all the doctors and nurses in the Middle East um, for pharmaceuticals. So one of my first jobs when I traveled, I remember to Greece, was I had to, I had to fire the agent that we had there who was like about 50-something, which I am now. But um as a 22 year old, that was really tough. And um, um, so anyway, fast forward, I got married, I emigrated to Australia, my husband worked for an Australian company back then. So we'd come over here on holiday and just loved it. Um, and so then we put the wheels in motion to come over here. Um, we arrived in Brisbane, which wasn't really the publishing hub of um, the country, that's mainly Sydney and Melbourne. So there weren't many jobs around. And I managed to get probably the only one that was available, which was uh, working for a company in Brisbane um, who had a street press music magazine called Time Off. Back then, and I mean, we're only talking, well, it seems like an eon ago, we're talking kind of in the early 90s, um, it was still cut and paste. So basically desktop publishing hadn't really come about by then. We had a graphic designer that would sit and type up all the stuff and it would go to the dark room and then we'd have to physically cut and paste that onto strips and um, send it off to the printers. There was, you know, to get our front cover done, which was colour, we had to get a complete separate company to change a little slide into it. So it was all very manual, very hands-on. Um, I remember the first time that we bought some desktop publishing stuff when I launched my own business and my graphic designer sat there and looked at this computer and found out that they could choose how many columns and you could just put a picture in and like it was amazing to us it was just you know such a an evolving um industry uh, so I worked for them for a while I won't go into kind of everything but the stock market crash hit in I think it was 88 or whatever it was and and they went under and so then I launched um my own street press newspaper called Rave, which came out, I think, in 1990. Um, and that was my first owned one here in Australia, which I had for quite a few years. Um, music is my love and my passion. Um, if I could have been a musician, that would have been what I would have been. If I could, I can play keyboards. That's about it. But um yeah, we, we sponsored um, Big Day Out. It was a cool time for music. Um, you know, the guys from Powderfinger used to come into the office and give us their little $80 to put their little tiny ad together in the newspaper. And 
it was just a really cool time. So um, after I sold that a few years later, I'd had all the kids by then. Um, I then got more into business. I, I launched a couple of business magazines. One was called Work From Home, which was a consumer magazine. Uh, one was called Witch Franchise. And then I guess the spiritual side came in because I launched a magazine called Insight, which was a um, spiritual new age kind of magazine, um, which helped help get me through a pretty messy divorce, to be honest. So that's probably why I did the firewalking and the, the Reiki and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I while I while I had rave, interestingly enough, I had a friend of mine that wanted to launch a hair magazine. Um, there was only one over here at the time to to serve the hair industry, and she'd come from the UK. There was a, a magazine over there called the Hairdressers Journal, and she wanted to launch it here. So she she was a hairdresser. She knew all about the hair industry, but she didn't know how to launch a magazine. So I was licensed to her for about 12 months we consulted and we um we helped her launch the magazine so from the publishing point of view um we acted as a kind of consultant publisher I guess um and so I I knew a little bit about the hair industry beauty came a little bit later uh once I'd sold off some of the business magazines I had all these incredible business writers and I'd already grown to love the hair industry so Mocha was born in 2006. Um, Hairbiz was the first one that we launched, which was um, business to business going out to all the hair industry uh, and all hair salons. Um, I felt that the industry at the time, and this is the same reason for why we did beauty, was that there was a lot of in hair, especially, there's all the beautiful stuff, there's beautiful hair, there's all the fluff side, which is wonderful and creative. But I just felt there was a bit of a gap in business. Nobody was really tackling business. And business is my passion, even though I love the, the creative side of things. Um, business is definitely my passion. So Hair Biz was launched. Uh, following that, we launched Beauty Biz. Uh, we then launched Barbershop. Um, and we, I guess, kind of came along with the idea that we were a hair and beauty company um, who owned magazines we had then a market um and the awards all kind of came after that the beauty awards were the first ones as you know um there were no national platform for awards i felt there was loads for hair but nobody was really looking after beauty um so we launched the beauty awards which was um 10 years ago this is our 10th year this year which i only realized the other day should have been should be doing something really really special but hey just wait and see um and so yeah we now have under our kind of umbrella um the three magazines we have um the abias for beauty ahias for hair and we for both business and creative two awards on that one um and then obviously some competitions for youth so we've got hot shots for hair and beauty squad for for beauty so um so yeah, started off in publishing, but I guess kind of eventually landed in the industry that I liked. And then from the industry that I liked, we then kind of moved um, to all of the areas within those industries um, under the hair and beauty umbrella. That's incredible. I've actually been following you for a very, very long time. <laughs> I remember those magazines, Rave and Time Out. I remember those. I remember reading those. So you know, that's yeah. incredible. I never had I known where this <laughs> take us. Yeah. Life is amazing, isn't it? And I think um, 
we're very fortunate in the beauty industry to have you because you know one the awards that you put on I remember the very first award that well that was the very first award that I went to and I was absolutely in awe I thought this is amazing and from there to where it go it is now and the massive it was a lot smaller than the first oh. one <laughs> I mean to be honest when we first did the beauty awards um you know, we used to exhibit at Beauty Expo and I used to speak to Reed about the awards and I helped um, the other person that I'd run, I'd looked after the, the hair industry and I, she had awards and I was looking after her awards. So I knew how to do awards, but I just felt that the platform should have been there initially with Reed because they had the, the Beauty Expo. And so I spoke to them for about two years running saying, you know, can you do it? Because lots of people came to us and said, can you do it? Because everybody wanted awards. I mean, there were... There were a few around, I guess, at that time that were run by various associations, but they weren't on a national level and a national scale. And um, so I just kept talking to Reed and they just didn't do them. So I thought, OK, well, we'll put out an expression of interest, which we did. Um, I needed to, to get sponsors um, on the, the year before at Beauty Expo. We put together just a very simple expression of interest that I took around to I guess all the major players um, in terms of the sponsors so that we could have individual sponsors for individual categories so that there wasn't one big naming right. I wanted everyone involved. And, and to be honest, I didn't think it would actually take off. I mean, I, we didn't have anything planned. We just sort of said, this is it. This is what it will cost. Um, and I think at that time we had about 19 categories. Um, and by the end of the, the two-day beauty expo weekend we'd sold every category and and so then then I had to kind of go oh shit now now I've got to now I've got to do it um so then I I literally locked myself away for about a month and downloaded every single award from all over the world to try and look at what they were doing wrote the awards from scratch um pulled in a few people you included um to just look over what I was doing so that I knew that we were doing it from a you know doing the right things from a technical point of view and I think over the first couple of years it probably changed a little it, it didn't change massively there was a few things that we tweaked on the second year um but it was just embraced by everyone and obviously you know first year I think we had 250 people in the room now it's a squeeze to sort of, you know, get seven, eight hundred, which is amazing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, it's one we certainly the what we're really proud of because, we, you know, it's not just about getting a trophy for us. It's about nurturing salons. It's about the process they go through to actually um, do their entry, which I believe is the most important thing because people you know, once they've done it once, then they realize the second year, oh, look at what we've done, look at what we've achieved, or maybe these are the things we need to work on. So it's like putting your business, it's like a health check, really, I think, for your business. And if you manage to then get finalists and then God possibly even win, um, you know, now we, we've evolved to the point where we can afford to, you know, have a PR company on board. They look after the winners. They get massive amounts of coverage for them. It's not just about the shiny trophy it's about then helping them you know whether it be through one-on-one -on -one zooms or whether it be through lining them up with pr with local media but it's really about raising the level um, of notoriety i guess not just for our winners but for the industry as a whole um, 
And, and I think it's done that. And I think it will continue to do that for many years to come. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm proud of that. But it's a it's a team effort. It's I mean, we couldn't do it without the sponsors and we couldn't do it without the entrance. So <laughs> you should be very proud of it because I can, I've got to tell you, it is the one event that everyone looks forward to it and it's talked about so much you know I often hear you you going to the ABS have you entered yeah. it's just one thing yeah. that is a, a common conversation now so yeah. thank you for for actually organizing that and I think in essence we should be very grateful that Reed didn't take it up <laughs> <laughs> yes oh my god yes it might not have been around but yeah it <laughs> Um, yeah it it does take a lot it takes a lot of people to put it together um you know the site that it's run through is quite amazing um you know just the fact that we have so many people enter the fact that I mean like like as you are you know just the judges all the judges you know it's got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where now we have to reduce the number of categories for judges I mean when we first started as you know we used to pack them all up it used to be hard copy it wasn't online we used to take it to you know Brisbane Sydney Melbourne hire a hotel for the day and you know it which was horrendous because I remember when I used to take them just panicking hoping to god they wouldn't get lost on the plane or you know just so now being online it's good but I mean just it it just got too big for that you know we the judges got to the point where they physically couldn't judge every single category um so that's why we now kind of look at who we feel are experts in those industries and and also pull people in from outside you know um that to me is quite important as well even though we can have all the people that you know do their job as as far as you know giving us their time freely which is amazing and judging we'll also pull in experts from outside of the industry so you know, for example, with salon design, we have two architects that that judge that. With some of the the business ones, with finance, we'll have finance experts that have nothing to do with the industry. So, I think it's just you know, um, and, and I think sometimes we have there's often surprises. We get new names that people don't know of that that do really well. So, um, yeah, I think it's um, it it's been a good thing for the industry. Absolutely, so I'm glad we 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 put it together. I think it's incredible for the industry and, you know, like um, the way the judging is set up, like no one knows who's won except yourself until yeah. night. And yeah. that's like I'm sitting there in anticipation going, who's won this category? I judge one of these. <laughs> who's won this? So, you know, it's incredible how it's all set up and um, you've done an amazing job with that. And one thing that you did did say that I totally agree with um, as because I've been to the awards in the early years is that um, your business grows. And mm. I've seen people you know, that have ended the awards and their business has almost doubled or tripled yeah. in turnover in the following years because they learned so much yeah. about their yeah. business as they're going through that process. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing that <laughs> because I think it's amazing for the industry. You've been very instrumental in fundraising especially the campaign for Love Your Sister in Alliance with Samuel Johnson. Yeah. So you've raised over $100,000 in two years. That's massive. Yeah. yeah. So what was it about Love Your Sister that made you want to get involved? Um, I think it was a little bit by accident and a little bit by choice, I guess. Um, obviously, as a, as a company where we've got kind of lots of fingers and lots of pies and we know lots of people, um, you know, we, we deal with thousands of people all the time and everyone's always doing something. And the charity side, especially in the hair and beauty industry, is huge. So 
we were getting asked constantly um, to help and and that was fine for a while but it got to the point where we were kind of spreading ourselves a little bit thin in terms of what we could do so I felt that we needed to um, choose a charity that we could then have as our charity of choice and not that we could necessarily um, up until then you know I, I would personally donate to lots of things but I felt that what we had that other people didn't have was a network and, and, a, and a way of being able to get to thousands of people to assist in some way. Um, I'd obviously seen the stuff that Sam Johnson had been doing with Love Your Sister, which, you know, touched me. And I, and I felt that um, being in the hair and beauty industry specifically, I knew people um, that had either suffered with or knew somebody that had suffered with um, breast cancer and I also wanted to um, pick something I guess that everyone could relate resonate with and, and I think in the hair and beauty industry especially um, you know and it's not to sort of take it away from men I guess but from a from a women's thing um, it was something that I felt that you know we would be able to reach a lot of people um, you know whether they've spoken to somebody that are sitting in their chair or on their massage table or whatever they were doing somebody either knew somebody or knew somebody that knew somebody that had been affected um you know it's it's that big that it's out there and I felt that we could do that and when I then spoke to um Sam about it and then he also told me about the research that they were doing also for men for testicular cancer as well as women for breast cancer and all other cancers basically um what I loved about the charity was that um it wasn't so much about dealing with people going through something it was more about trying to find a cure I mean that's his thing it's it's not you know there are so many incredible charities out there that that help um, whether it be with respite care or care in hospital units um, but his his thing was that that's what he wanted to do and so I I'd been following it and I'd been watching it and then I thought okay so I went online and I just literally applied to be a fundraiser for them and there was a form that you had to fill out and one of the questions on it was how much would you need Sam Johnson to do and I wrote in there nothing <laughs> because I didn't I didn't really need him to do anything I just you know I'd researched it I found out everything about it um and it it wasn't until I think it was the day I submitted my form. He rang me the day after and uh, said, oh, I've answered my phone. It was an unknown number, which I don't normally answer. But I did. And he said, oh, this is Sam Johnson. And I was like, whoa, what? Because <laughs> I was a fan. Um, and he said, he said, oh, you, you've applied. He said, I, I'm ringing you because it, it, one of the questions was, you know, what do you need me to do? And you said, you don't need me to do anything. And I said, <laughs> Well, I don't. And he said, well, that's actually why I'm really interested in talking to you, because um, he explained to me, which I get, I guess, that a lot of people did sort of try to get him to um, or, or they would say that they wanted to fundraise, but they would go to him and say, but can you be here and can you do this? And and we're more interested in him being a celebrity attending something or being involved in something for them to get something out of their business than than what he was actually doing. And I said to him, look, if you want to be involved and want to come to anything you are more than welcome to come but I don't need you to do that this is what we want to do and I said I I don't have a lot of money but I know lots of people and and we can definitely use that uh, we know how to market we know what to do so 
if you can just make me an affiliate fundraiser, I'll do the rest. Uh, and so that's how it kind of started. I went down, I flew down to see him in Melbourne. Um, it had only been, it was quite early days. I think when I first started talking to him, it was when he was doing his unicycle thing um, and Connie was still around then. Uh, by the time I actually got to see him, Connie had passed away. So it was quite sad when I first went to see him because they were getting videos done up and uh, it was yeah it was a, it was a tough time but uh we sort of put things together and came up with this idea that um connie loved dressing in pajamas they already had these things that they sold connie's cotton socks in in online and so i said why don't we do pajamas so we we did a, a pajama day uh and yeah it sort of took off i mean we don't get hundreds and hundreds of salons but the ones that do have really embraced it uh, this year was tough. You know, we did it for two years and we did over the 100,000. Last year, we didn't do anything. Um, I, I think a lot of people forget that with COVID, even though people talk about events and hospitality and all the industries and certainly beauty and hair, people that have really struggled, one of the biggest industries that have struggled, which a lot of people don't think about, is charity. It's taken a massive hit. And, um, you know, we didn't do it last year. They, Sam didn't really do anything last year because you can't really ask people to, to donate money when everyone's going through what they're going through. So we sort of, you know, we, we gave it a bit of a miss last year. We, we did it this year and we've just almost completed. Uh, we only had quite a small number of salons that jumped on board this year. But we've already, I just did the tally, actually, um, out of the people that did, and bear in mind, so many of them are in lockdown, so they can't do anything. Uh, our, our PJJ was the 27th of July, I think, so that was pretty much stuffed um, for quite a few. Quite a few have said to us, can they do stuff when they open up? So we're leaving our Michael's uh, fundraiser page open. So I think we'll still be doing fundraising till the end of the year. But we still did, I think we're up to about $12,000, which, you know, it's not a 50 like we normally do. But my God, it's so much more than I expected. Uh, they all dressed up still. They did some incredible things. So, you know, even that it is just um, just amazing. I was really I'm really humbled by the fact that we've still done that. So at least it's added it, you know, if, if it just helps a little bit to keep it going and then we'll, we'll embrace it again, big, you know, hugely, hopefully next year. So yeah, it's a nice one. It's, it's one that we, we love. Um, we just haven't been able to do as much as what we normally do, but we've still done something. So I'm something very, is very interesting. I think that's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. amazing. So you would have seen a lot of different things happen in the industry over the years in both hair and beauty. How do you see hair and beauty what do you see the changes in, in the next couple of coming years? Look, it's a tough one. I thought, of, I thought about this because obviously at the moment we're going through one of the toughest times we've ever had. That's gonna, you know, that that's definitely going to result in in some salons probably not making it. And that's a really tough thing to, to think of and, and look at. But but honestly, we can see um, with the magazines that that go out. If they, we look after our own databases. So when magazines are returned, it's usually because a salon has closed. We don't tend to take them off of the list until we get two copies back because quite often they might close, but then somebody else comes in and takes over because generally it's not always kind of, um, 
you know, you can't necessarily assume just by getting returns, but but certainly it's a fact of life that I would say in the last, maybe not so much in the last 12 months, but in the last three months, our returns are definitely up. And, and that's just the way it is. Um, I think that's a mixture of, you know, last year, I guess, even when, when things, when, when we were in lockdowns before, um, people were still being helped with JobKeeper and all that kind of thing. You know, and, and it's also fair to say on the flip side of that, that quite a few salons, you know, and, and businesses in general did okay with that. We did get a lot of, of financial help. Um, I think a big factor, I think some of the salons that I've spoken to and individuals that I've spoken to that have made the choice to close have made a choice rather than not be able to carry on, if that makes sense, because they're just sort of, you know, a bit over it, I guess. But then on the flip side to that, there's also some that are doing incredibly well. And, you know, everybody uses the word pivot. And I know a lot of people don't like that word, but but we have learned to do things in a way that we've never done before. We, we've run some articles in the magazines even on how salons have had to look at how to how to make income out of different ways. Um, you know, the fact that they've set up the, the good ones and the ones that are really doing well have set up incredible online shops, are dealing with their clients, whether they're open or not, working in ways they can to still keep in communication with them, with their staff, with their clients, um, you know, rescheduling, rebooking, doing all that stuff. And I mean, I, I wouldn't profess to know or even assume that I can advise them on what they're doing because it's hard I'm out there and, and I'm not in their position but I you know for every kind of story that I hear that's maybe not so great I'm also hearing a lot of really positive stories as well where people are you know and I think part of that is also the fact that something that I've not seen as much in my entire career is the networking that's going on. You know, it used to be very much in hair and beauty where you would run your own business and keep everything quite close to you and maybe not share. Whereas every the good thing that I think that's come out of this is everyone seems to be sharing a lot more. You know, there's forums, there's groups. Um, you know, I know every now and again there's there's stuff on there that we don't always want to see. And, you know, there might be sort of a few negative Nancys out there. But in general, there are places now that we can all come together and share whether it be a council whether it be an association whether it be a facebook group whether it be dinner with friends i mean i, I just think that i see people talking to each other and sharing on how to help and how to you know and that's not just with say business coaches although there's a lot of business coaches and there's a lot of people out there helping i think it's also um there just seems to be this camaraderie, I guess. I always say with the awards when you, and it was funny because Sam Johnson said the night that he came, he'd never seen an industry so congratulatory of each other than when we had the beauty awards. It's, you know, it's like business is going well. So that's good for everyone. Everyone was really happy for each other because it was going well. And I think that's the only way that we're really getting through. I think that, you know, and it's not something I've seen before. I think, I don't know whether you'd agree, but I just think that, you know, in the last year or two, um, yes, things have been tough, but what's come out of that is how we now support each other, I think, more than we've ever done before. Um, you know, I think I think it's it, it's, a, it's a backbone at the moment of, of the industry. 
totally agree with you there. I've never seen it before either. And, and I hope that it stays. I mm. think it will. I think, I think people have learned to share and they're, they're giving and they're helping out. And I know that, you know, I've heard of, of um, clinics that are in close um, proximity to each other that mm. are, are working to try and support each other to stay open. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even with education, I mean, I, you know, I guess there's always that difference of what people can do, um, as in whether they're in lockdown or whether they're not in lockdown. But if we just talk in general terms, education has definitely stepped up. There's a lot more um, availability and access to, to, to good education. I think people are realising that, you know, the beauty industry is is changing and because it's it, it is an evolving industry people have to keep up with that so I guess you know online social as that evolves as does everything else I think also by by going through COVID and people being used to things that they haven't been used to before whether it's blogs or whether it's podcasts or whether it's zooms or all that stuff we've become quite familiar with working in an online world. So, you know, we've had to adapt to that as well, even though I still believe print is an important part of media, we also still have to embrace and love to embrace social and Zooms and, and all that stuff and, and an online magazine and everything, because everyone likes to have a choice of where they want to get their information from. So I think that with that, I'm seeing also salons, like you said, even in some areas, will group together and, you know, somebody in ACT, there might be three salons that say, why don't we get together and we'll bring somebody in to educate all of us. So then it becomes affordable for them because instead of having, you know, six or seven people, they can have 20 people and they can bring an educator in for all of them. Um, and I think people have realised, and maybe that's part of the awards as well, that if we all raise up that benchmark, it's better for everybody. Um, so I, I think that's a really positive change. I think that we've definitely embraced communication technology more than we ever have before uh, because we've had to. Uh, and I think that we are definitely working together so much better than we've ever worked before. And yeah, as you said, hopefully that will continue. Absolutely. I think the word, the word is resilience. Mm. So like I think yeah. I've become very resilient and I think um and compassionate as well yeah towards yeah. people so you've done so much in your life and you're still only young so tell me I'm tired. <laughs> tell me about you know some of the challenges that you've had in your career um gosh I guess um Challenges as far as business is concerned, I guess one of the biggest thing for us is in media, we've had to go through a complete change from print only to um, online. That, that, that's been a big one. Um, and we've had to ride that wave a little bit. So with companies, not so much privately owned companies, but when we deal with a lot of the majors, the majors tend to take their direction from their um owners being quite often international companies and so when they suddenly say okay this, this year we're just going to be all online all digital um that means that we sometimes drop they, they drop off a little bit because we and, and it's not because I stick my head in the sand and go I just love print because I do I, I love reading a book I, I love reading a magazine I I don't want to curl up with an iPad I but but I also love 
everything about technology and everything about online. So I know that we have to do both. We um, we we research quite a lot. We usually about every six to twelve months we do a bit of a round robin call on about a hundred salons just to double check that they do still want the magazine and. And it's not even 99%, it's 100%. They still do like to receive it. They still, you know, especially I think in hair and beauty when, you know, you're on your feet all day, you're working with people. When you get home, the last thing that you'll want to do is, is do business to business online. Definitely you'll do social, definitely, um, you know, get on your social media and stuff. But, but business to business is something that, you know, um, emails, I guess, are one thing, but I think people still do enjoy and look forward to receiving a printed copy. And for as long as people want that, then we'll still do that. That that has been a challenge because we've, you know, every now and again, we have to question and say, should we still do it or do we just go online? Um, so I guess that's changed. Certainly staying up then with the new communication mediums um, is, is a big challenge for us because when you start having to do social for us, because we're business to business, from a commercial point of view, it's not something that we make money on, but you still have to do it. So you have to invest in having, you know, I think we've got about 10 um, Instagram pages for all the different divisions and Facebook, and that can be almost a full-time job. So that's been a, a learning curve, you know, for, for us, uh, because we've had to start that, I guess, afresh um, and, and look at making sure that we're covered in that area and just having to spend money on it and not have that as, as a commercial viable area. Uh, certainly there are ways that you can. And I mean, we, you know, we can get more entries for awards, we can do certain things and we see how things spike and go up and down and, and you get your insights and all the rest of it. And now it's getting to the point where companies do want to do everything. So what we've had to do is I guess reinvent ourselves a little bit where if somebody comes to us with budget, an advertiser, for example, then we have to look at how we can um, spread that for them. So it means we will always have a holistic approach and say to them, okay, well, we could maybe do an interview with one of your salons. We can put that editorially. We can then take a full page ad, but we can also do an email out to our database of 10,000. And then we can also do a few social posts. Maybe we do a live, we do some stories. So suddenly what used to be just a phone call to sell an ad and do some editorial has to has to encompass everything and we've had to grow for that quite quickly and we've had to learn quite quickly how to make sure that we can do right by our clients and make sure that they can get all of their messages out there in every single medium so that a client as in uh, their client uh, a prospective um, salon owner is going to then see it across wherever they look and, and we have to provide that so that's definitely been a challenge um, you know I think just to grow and and know how far to grow how much to spend on that growth you know it, we're, we're all in the same boat I mean I'm I'm in media but you know whether you're a salon owner whether you're an educator whether you're a publisher you have to change with the times and you have to embrace that and look at it commercially so that's probably been one of our biggest ones I guess by embracing all of that I totally agree please 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 don't stop print 
I, one, like all the other people that I know, hate reading off the computer and I love nothing more than to have that hard copy in front of me where I can turn a page. Absolutely. No, I can't see it. I honestly can't see it changing. It's interesting. In in the US, uh, Condé Nast, which is one of the biggest publishers over there, um, have invested a huge amount of money over the last four or five years in a campaign called Power of Print. And if you Google the Power of Print, you actually see um, you'll you'll come up with a couple of videos and things um, that have amazing statistics on uh, just how people are really coming back to. They did a, a massive survey on university students and uh, you know, that three second rule of when you open up something and you've got to sort of get, you know, somebody's attention straight away. But they've then gone through all that. Uh, I think I actually have a copy of it somewhere, but it's basically the percentages of of how things stay in our mind. We're such instant people nowadays that when you look at stuff, especially on social and we flick through really quickly, and our brains work really quickly. A lot of the time people may use it for you know quick short sharp stuff and and maybe if they can swipe to something else but print has got these incredible statistics now of how um you know people will it will make somebody go and buy a product or buy a service and because you take that in in a different way and it works in different parts of your brain it's right right brain left brain it's it's really quite fascinating uh what they've invested in because they wanted to make sure they were staying in that that lane and even though I mean, there's certain things that have gone by the wayside. Rave, the, the, the newspaper that I first owned, that's gone, that closed. And it's because obviously if it's news or if it's something that's time limited. So we used to have a gig guide, whereas if you want to know what band's playing where, then you just look on, you look on the internet. It's quick, it's on your phone. And you don't want to wait a week to find out when that next thing is on. Whereas when you've got stuff like us, which are more you know, in-depth interviews, um, profiles, really feel good, interesting, informative stuff that isn't date, dated, then I think there's definitely still a space for it. There's a space for some that have gone, uh, which is more your immediate publishing, I guess. But, um, you know, something that's a bit more niche and business to business and informative, I think there'll always be a space for that. I, I agree. I agree. Now, I've been very, very lucky and very privileged to get to know your family. I've spent time with your beautiful boys and your daughter (laughs) on special outings and things like that. But being a business owner, along with being a single mum of twin boys, twin boys, so gorgeous, and a stunning daughter, how do you do it? And now a grandmother. (laughs) I actually don't know because I was talking to Kelly, my daughter, on the weekend because they were here for the weekend with my new little baby grandson who is just the apple of he, he just adore him <laughs> it's like he's I, I spam him all the time on my social media I I I have him and I look after him every now and again so I had him the other night because Kelly went out on very rare occasion but I had him for the day and the night and I just I I don't know how I did it <laughs> I actually don't because she was she was nearly three she was two and a half three when the boys came along um and then my husband and I split when the kids were uh, the twins were three and she was nearly six and, and it's been just me and them since then. So I think, I think, we, you know, we're, we're a tight bunch. I emigrated, so I didn't have my family over here. So it was just us. Um, I, I, 
I mean, I, I've had I've had help. I mean, I did still work. Um, I loved work and I wanted to make sure that I could still do that for myself. So for the first few years, I had a, a nanny that would help out for a few days a week. And then even as they got older, uh, I still had somebody come in and kind of help with, you know, homework and stuff and getting some dinner on and whatever. And and part of that was also because I wanted to make sure that the time that I had with them was really, really good time instead of just being a complete lunatic yelling all the time, <laughs> which sometimes happens. So um, I think that's rubbed off on them because they are all quite entrepreneurial in their own way. Nine to five is not normal to them uh, because they were grown, they were brought up in a in a home where it wasn't normal for me. So, and and that's also I guess part of having my own business was also part of that. I I did once, I think it was when I had rave maybe, or it might have been between time off and rave. But I was invited to Sydney by a company, and I was offered this incredible job as a general manager of a big publishing company and it would have been moving to Sydney I think they had um something like 40 titles it was huge but I, I knocked it back I mean I, I'd be probably retired by now but if I just but I but I wouldn't have known them so you know you don't get that kind of job on that sort of money and without giving you a pound of flesh and and my choice on the plane back was you know what, I don't, I don't need that much, but I do need to be a mum for my kids. So that was always quite important for me. I wanted my own business so I could, uh, you know, it's a little bit different, obviously, with, with you guys, with salon owners, because you have to work in, in certain times. But for me, with publishing, I was very lucky because, you know, if they had a, a sports day on, I could go to that. And then when they went to bed, I would then work at home because I would still be able to write my stories. I'd moved more from sales into the editorial. So my life is now more on the writing and the managing sort of side of things. So having that option, it just meant that I've always worked really late at night. Um, we don't have offices as much as the fact people think we must have a massive office. We don't at all. We I still work from home. All my editors work from home. Uh, we pull in, Kelly works from home as well. She does all my designs. So my daughter's worked for me since she left school. So she's been with me since we started um, this company with Mocha. So she's been here from the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, it just means that we can kind of juggle. And, and I think that she's in the same boat. Nina, who's been with me in sales again since the beginning, you know, I've never been that person to say you need to work nine to five. I don't care whether you work two hours a day or 12 hours a day or one day a week or five days a week. The, the job is there to be done and however long it takes to do it is fine by me. We sort of are all very flexible because we sort of have to be. Back in the day, you had to be because you, you had to get all your print done before you know, the design done and all the pages done before you went to print. And so, you know, when I had rave, I used to say goodbye to the kids on a Monday and a hello again on a Wednesday because we'd work through the night straight 24-hour shifts getting things printed. Now it's different, obviously, because everything's all online. So you don't have to take the pages into a car and drive them to a printer. <laughs> now it's just all uploaded. So, which makes me sound ancient, but that's how it was <laughs> kind of you know not that long ago so look I don't know I think that the secret is um 
we've always been really open with each other the kids are great I'm super super proud of them the boys have got their own business Kelly's um you know she's she's been with me she is part of this business she she I, I see her as, as as having huge ownership in the business in terms of future and um yeah we're just you know we we work hard we play hard <laughs> we um have have some incredible people around that support us and love us and vice versa so uh, but as far as all the kids when they were little the answer is I don't know I actually don't know I, I just I think I must have just locked them in a room because I physically <laughs> don't know how I would have coped with three of them running around now that I've got one who's a hurricane when he's here <laughs> well you've done something amazing because they're gorgeous humans they really are so it's a credit to you okay thank you so you're an incredible busy woman, incredibly busy, and you still do all this stuff. You do the charity, you do everything that you do. What do you do to relax? When do you when do you have Linda time? I do I do make time for myself, and I I, I think part of it is um, I've I've never really felt like you know when some people say oh you probably need a break or people need a holiday like I love holidays and I love break, but I also really love what I do like I, I I you know when I I'm not a workaholic but I I do really enjoy what I do so if I list the things that I love you know whether it be taking the dog for a walk or spending time with the family work is in there like I really do love what I do and and you know I'm I'm at the stage of my life, I guess, where I sometimes think about, you know, how much longer do I want to do this? You know, should I start thinking about exit strategies, which which I do have. I mean, I think I think nowadays we'd be foolish not to have an exit strategy. I think that's part of business. I think it's really important for everyone to have that. And the worst time is to make an exit strategy when you're not doing well. When you're doing well, that's when you start thinking about your exit strategy. But I still like to think that I would be involved in some way because I, I really do enjoy. So I don't see it as a chore to sort of, you know, have to do some extra hours now and again. And it's not maybe relaxing, but I still enjoy it. I, I think there is everyone has to have quiet time. So I go back to, um, you know, the magazine that I had a long time ago, which kind of took me on, I guess, a bit of a spiritual kind of um, path. I, I still do that. So, so, you know, Reiki was one thing. So that's sort of hands-on healing. I don't really do it with anybody else, but I do it to myself. I, I'm, I meditate. I, I, I meditate most days, to be honest. It might only be for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or even when I go to bed. Uh, but I, I do try to sort of empty my brain if I possibly can. And I've done, when, when things get too much, I'll make sure I do something in that way a few years back now probably I don't know maybe six seven years I, I we were really busy with work and we'd launched loads of things and we just had a massive event for a couple of days and I just needed some time out so I booked myself in uh, for a five-day silent retreat where I didn't speak for five days which was I think I thought it would be impossible because <laughs> I can speak underwater but it was amazing and I I would encourage anyone to do it. it. It felt like if, you know, I've often said to people, if you could stick a USB in the side of your head and download everything to get it all out, to be able to leave space, that's what that retreat did for me. It was a yoga meditation ret retreat. So we spent pretty much all that time. And, and there was about 12 of us on it. Didn't know anybody when we got there. Didn't speak to them until the last day because it was completely silent and it was amazing. Um, and so Things like that, I guess. Um, 
family time is obviously a good relaxing for me. Um, anything that I can do that, you know, takes, you know, I've, I've got some really good friends and, and we'll sort of meet up and have dinner. So the normal stuff, I guess, you know, dinner, wine, <laughs> wine's a biggie probably. Um, I try to be good with that when I sometimes can, but you know, I enjoy, I'll, I'll finish work because I work from home. I've got to be quite disciplined. So when I finish work and I've got a separate space and area for that, but I close the door and I don't come in again and then I'll go out and I'll maybe sort of start cooking and pour myself a glass of wine or something. And, you know, um, I, I help look after the business side of the, the boys business a little bit as well, because I enjoy that because I enjoy seeing them do that and and now with my grandson that that's a big one that's it I wouldn't say it's always relaxing <laughs> because he's one and he's walking and he's a terror and he's gorgeous but it's uh yeah so I think just quiet time music is a big one for me if I feel like I need a bit of a break then I will um I live on acreage in a I'm blessed to live in a beautiful beautiful space so um, I will quite often just go and sit outside put some music on semi-meditate I guess but more so um yeah and even when I walk the dog I've always got music in I, I people say to me oh you know you could do even with podcasts and things um I find that that just keeps my brain going so sometimes I just need to you know just chill so definitely um you know dog walk meditation music family time um that's probably it I, I don't sleep I'm a late, I, I go to bed late. Uh, I've started to try and change that and get up. But I've always been, I guess, probably with the magazines, I've always worked late. So I find it hard to go to bed early. Um, I can get up early. Yoga is a big one for me too. I, I, I hate the gym. I don't go to the gym. I don't like any of that stuff. But I love yoga because it, um, it I sit a lot. So yoga helps me to stretch but it also helps with my, my mind and my brain because as you're doing um, Hatha yoga, then, you know, that also is very much about taking your, your, your brain space and using that. So that's probably it. <laughs> well, I could see how you could relax and you've got a beautiful home and I, I, you know, your outlook there, I've been to your house and it's just stunning. So I can understand how you could use that space to relax in. Yeah. So <laughs> Linda, I want to thank you for your time today. You're an incredible, busy lady. You have an amazing business. You're a mum. You're a grandmum. You're a yeah. superhero. And <laughs> I think you're a superstar. You have a very special place in my heart. Thank you. As do you. Thank you. And thanks for all your help along the years as well. Because, you know, it's people like you that have helped me. You know, I, I'm very much, I'll put my hand up and say when I don't know something. Um, and I think that it's been really good that I've had people along the way that have been able to, you know, look over my stuff and go, yeah, do that or don't do that or this might help or whatever. And I'm very, very grateful for that. So thank you. Thank you.